Last week after watching our service, my wife said to me, like she usually does each Sunday, uh, I liked your message. But then she went on and said, but I didn't understand your joke. Now, I got to be honest with you, when she said that, I, the first thing became a little irritated. Because the first thing that went through my mind is, how could you not understand the opening joke? I mean, it was funny stuff. You all got it. Um, you remember, I, I, it was about uh, a, a young boy going to school for the first time of the year and his mother said to him, uh, what did you learn? And he said, I learned never to use the F word. And she said, why did you do that? And he said, no, the principal just really emphasized we're not supposed to do that. Then he asked his mother what the F word meant and she was rattled and said, well, I don't know. And then he started going through his vocabulary words beginning with F. And as he was doing that, his sister decided to help out and she exclaimed the word cheese. And then the mother walked away totally defeated and said to herself, I've got one child who's gonna grow up with a potty mouth and another child who won't know how to read which sign on the potty door is boy or girl. Uh, Funny stuff. I don't know how she didn't get it. being a being different's a beautiful thing until it isn't then it becomes uh, an issue of of tension it uh, it becomes uh, confusion it becomes a real big pain it's then you can you can hear your mother's voice from a long time ago whispering in your ear uh, well it takes two um this morning we're beginning uh, our second message into a series we started last week called Forgiving Forward. Because to be able to move forward in a relationship, to be able to move forward in any relationship, you've got to be willing to forgive. You've got to be willing to repent. As we move forward with God, we have to always be in that position of repenting And knowing that we're forgiven. And as we move forward with others, we have to be willing to forgive as they repent. Well, uh, this morning, we're going to begin the second message in this series. um, And it's called, uh, It Takes Two. I think I can safely say that unless you have significant, probably mental illness problems, most of us don't fight or disagree with ourselves. If, if you do, you probably need a therapist, particularly um, if you fight with yourself and there's a winner that comes out of it. It takes two, You go, Marvin Gaye makes it clear. There's nothing like Marvin Gaye to perk you up. Um, before we look at our passage this morning, I wanna show you the cause of a great deal of relational problems that we have in our lives, relational problems that we have even with God. And so I'm gonna present to you just a couple of slides and I'm gonna explain them to you um, because these are the things that happen to us just instantly in moments where we end up in conflict with others and disagreements with them and fights and where forgiveness can quickly disappear. This morning, just to help give you a sense 
of what goes on in conflict. We're going to look at a couple of slides just to break it down. As you see in the first slide, there's what we call action and reaction. So let me explain. Um, Let's say your best friend tells you that they're going to pick something up for you at the store and drop it off at your house because uh, they heard that you were going to go to the store and do it and they were out anyways. And so they said, hey, let me take care of it for you. And then all of a sudden uh, you see them, they don't show up at your house and you see them the next day and you ask them what happened and they said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot about it. Then right away you have a reaction. Your reaction is, you know, they obviously don't care about me that much. You know, they knew I need, needed it. They told me they would get it for me, but they obviously cared about something else more than they cared about me And so they just blew me off and I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't trust them. You can't trust people like that. You know, people have got to be people of the word. Either they do it or they don't do it. That's what we call action reaction. It's it's kind of, um, uh, you know, a cause and effect. Problem is life is much more complicated than that. People are much more complicated than that. Um, there's something else that goes on in this dynamic beyond just action and reaction. So let me show you the second slide here to give you a better indication. What we see here is what really goes on in an encounter like that is an action that someone takes and then the interpretation that we make of that action. And that interpretation is based on our values our past experiences, our circumstances. And it's through that that we make the interpretation. So if our value system is built around the fact that um, when people say something, they do it and there's no room for margin. And we came up with that value system because of our past experiences where people re- uh, abandoned us or, um, or they just let us down over and over again so that we came up with this, this uh, interpretation that when people do that, they don't really love you and care for you because that's what your parents did to you. And circumstances, our present circumstances. Sometimes if, if we're really stressed out and, um, you know, we can't handle any more on our plates. And now this person promises to do something and they don't do it. You know, that's it. We go to the quick interpretation. These people aren't reliable. They're not trustworthy. Uh, whatever we come up with. And then that becomes our perspective. How we look at them. How we interpret what they say to us. And that feeds our reaction. Our reaction of being angry at them. Or our reaction of of telling them what we think of them, of even breaking our relationship with them. Um, It's more than just an action and a reaction. It's understanding that there's much more that goes into it. There's the issues of our past. Uh, There's the issues um, of our gender. Uh, There's the issue of our moods there's the issue of whether we suffered abuse there's the issues of whether we're struggling with anxiety or depression 
all these things that impact us and cause us to react to the actions of another because we're not stopping to think about them. We're just thinking about what they did and how it impacts us. And it impacts us based upon our interpretation of the events, which becomes our perspective, which then becomes our reaction. But it's even more complex than that because when we're dealing with people, when we understand that there's a dynamic going on in a relationship, we can't just make it as simple as just even this. It's more complicated. I see that in the next slide. Because if we look at the next side, we have to not only look at what was going on for us when we reacted, but we even have to step back and ask what was going on for them when they engaged in this action. You know, we have to look at what were their values, uh, what were their past experiences, what, what are their circumstances right now. I might know this person as a person who's a good-willed person, um, but part of their life has always been struggling on pleasing everybody, um, trying to meet everyone's needs. And so they put themselves in these awful situations where they take on much more than they can realistically fulfill. And so knowing that, understanding that, can help me to understand why this happened to not come up with faulty interpretations and uh, perspectives that color them in the wrong light and lead me to react to them. And even beyond that, as we see in this next slide, then we have to deal with how our reaction impacts uh, them for any future actions. And as you can see, this just goes around and around and around. And it, it leads to a principle that I want to share with you this morning as we turn to our passage. Yes, we're going to get there. Uh, the principle is this. Minding your viewpoint can be the turning point and relational ending points. Minding your viewpoints can be the turning point in your relational ending points. And so I want to share a passage with you, with you this morning. It comes from Acts chapter 15. And many of you know this passage, I'm sure. But before we look at it, let me just give you some history of what the context of this pas passage is. What we see in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and they're ministering to the people. But there's this other group there we call them the Judaizers. These were people who held to the fact that in order to be a believer in Christ, not only did you have to believe in Christ as your savior, but you still had to engage in all of the laws of Moses, all of the Jewish rituals and all the Jewish requirements. And so Paul got into, uh, Paul and Barnabas got into a sharp, sharp dispute with them, telling them that, we're not saved by that stuff. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Well, the believers in Antioch came to the decision to send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem, to the apostles and to the elders, and to get kind of a final judgment call on it. 
And so Paul and Barnabas head back in that direction. They meet with the church at Jerusalem. They meet with the apostles and the disciples, the elders. And he tells them about the conflict. And so very quickly they come up with the clear judgment that is the gospel of Christ that we are saved by grace through faith. That it isn't what we do for good works. It isn't rituals that bring us uh, near to God. It's the shed blood of Christ that purchases our salvation. And so they send Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch and they send them back with a letter. And basically in the letter, it says that this is our determination and we want you to tell the Gentiles that their salvation is by grace, but they're not to engage in idolatry and they're not to engage in sexual immorality. And those were the two commands that they gave. Now it's interesting, uh, they also gave um, two concessions. They went on to say, and do not eat the meat of ang- uh, animals that have been strangled that still have blood within them. They were wise in giving the concession because they didn't want to have Paul and Barnabas go back and make it a win-lose situation where the folks they were going back to would just feel like they had lost face and that anything they shared wasn't legitimate. And so they give them this little concession, but basically tells them that when it comes to circumcision, they don't have to engage in that. When it comes to the other rituals, that's not what brings salvation. Um, And so Paul and Barnabas go back, they share the message, and they stay in Antioch for a little period of time um, before they decide to go off and to visit some of the churches that they had ministered to before. And that's where we pick up uh, this following situation, this following event between Paul and Barnabas. And so uh, looking at Acts chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 36, we read this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Um, So let me give you a little background into the players here. Uh, Barnabas is, um, he's a very interesting character in scripture. Barnabas, his name literally means son of encouragement. It was a name that was given to him by the apostles. We see that back in uh, Acts chapter four. Barnabas was a person who was known for giving encouragement, for caring, for going out of his way to do kind things for others. Um, 
Barnabas was also the cousin of John Mark. Now, uh, who was who was John Mark? John Mark is an interesting uh, person. We believe that we first see him uh, in Mark's gospel. Yes, the same person. Um, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 15 of Mark, we read these words. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And everyone meaning, uh, or deserted him meaning Jesus. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now notice it doesn't tell us who the young man was. But it was very common uh, for writers during this time that, that if you were writing about yourself, you never gave your identity up. We see that in John's gospel. Uh, in the references that John makes about himself as he's telling the story, um, he'll talk about uh, the disciple, the apostle that Jesus loved, but he won't come out and say he's talking about himself. Just like here, uh, Mark does the same thing. He identifies uh, this young man, but he doesn't give him a name, where normally they give names to every character um, that they're speaking of. And so, as a biblical expositor, knowing the genre of the day and how they would do this, it was pretty clear that Mark was referring to himself. And so what we see is at the time that Jesus was arrested, John Mark was following behind, kind of slipping in and out of the bushes. Uh, he was a very kind of young, scared, skittish uh, teenager. And as soon as they saw him and grabbed him, he just wriggled out quickly and ran down the street with no clothes on. Um, it was probably something he had to take a long time to live down. The next time we really see John Mark um, is in Acts chapter 13 when we're told about how Peter after getting released from prison went to John Mark's house to the home his mother owned um, for refuge. And so we see that John Mark comes from a very solid Christian family um, that even in following Jesus, he was very much a part of what went on in Jesus's life and what went on with the disciples' life uh, afterwards. And so what we see now is, as in John Mark's, uh, excuse me, in Paul's first missionary journey, uh, both Paul and Barnabas decide to take John Mark with them. But then something interesting happens. In Acts chapter 13, we read of uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas being sent to Cyprus. And so we read these words. When they arrived at Salmis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elmas, the sorcerer, 
opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, that's the last time we hear about John Mark until we get to chapter 15. And so what we believed happened was this, that when John Mark saw that Paul and Barnabas were being called before this sorcerer, um, he got scared because for many people during that day, the whole idea of black magic was a very powerful thing. And so what we believe the dispute that Paul and Barnabas uh, disputed over was the fact that John Mark couldn't be trusted. That he ran off on them one time and if they bring him again, he'll just do the same thing. What we make of uh, this short little uh, recording of this incident is that both Paul and Barnabas went back and forth making their points, but none of, neither one of them budged. Both Paul and Barnabas stuck to their guns. And so what happened? They split up. Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took Silas. Um, we know what that probably could have looked like. Um, but it probably would have looked like for each one of us. Uh, can you imagine Paul as he left with Silas saying to him, I can't believe how Barnabas would just undercut me like that. You know, particularly when I'm the one who really leads these missionary journeys. He's a good guy, but he's just too soft. And particularly when it comes to his family, I mean, he just folds like a, a cheap suit. I'm not even sure Barnabas can really be trusted. He seems to be a guy who serves man more than he serves God. Well, you know what? Um, I guess I really know who he is now. And it probably is fortunate that this happened so I could find out that he really isn't reliable. I'd rather know now than to really need him and, and find out that um, he just doesn't have the conviction to do the right things. Uh, you can almost imagine um, what it was like when Barnabas and Mark left. I'm sure Barnabas uh, said to Mark, hey, don't feel bad, Mark. That, that's just Paul. We're used to him. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, Paul's a good man, but he just doesn't have any sense of compassion. He doesn't seem to have the ability to empathize or to engage in forgiveness. Sometimes I think if he's not careful, he's going to end up like one of the Pharisees. In fact, I'm really beginning to think that he thinks this is all about him and not about the gospel. In fact, when we get back to Jerusalem, I think I'm going to have a talk with Peter because Peter needs to sit him down and get him straightened out and get him to see that this is not about him. This is the gospel and and if... And if he's just going to do whatever he wants to do, then he should find another line of work. Um, action, reaction. That's what we do. But that's, that's not what they did. 
Yeah, they split and went different ways. But my suspicion is they didn't go away bad-mouthing each other. Now you say, uh, Pastor Fred, how do you know that? Well, you're right. I, I don't know that. But I do know a couple of things. Um, because years later, we see something different going on in the relationship. In Philemon uh, chapter 1, verse 24, Paul talks of John Mark now as his fellow workman. Look what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, 2 Timothy was written, it was the last letter that Paul ever wrote. And when you read the letter, you get this sense that Paul is anticipating his life coming to an end. And so in chapter four, as he begins to wrap up the letter, um, he talks about those that have stuck with him and those who have betrayed him. He says, only Luke is with me. But interestingly enough, the next thing he says is get John Mark. Get him, bring him to me. Because he has been so very helpful for me these last days of my ministry. Um, Something must have happened because what we see in the end is reconciliation. What we see is someone who was viewed as not trustworthy later becoming trustworthy. Someone who would have been easily viewed as judgmental who now is sentimental. Somehow reconciliation happened. Somehow as they parted, they cooled down. They were able to agree to disagree. I'm sure they, as they walked, they sought God's wisdom. They sought to understand how God would have them react to each other. They sought to understand each other. Uh, Somehow in that situation, they were willing to take a learning stance. And they were willing to remember that the gospel was about extending love to one another. I'm willing to bet that the conversation didn't go like I said before. In fact, my suspicion is it probably went something like this. Whereas Paul walked away with Silas, he probably said to him, you know, I feel really bad about this. I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. One thing I do know is if I ever needed somebody to fight for me, I'd want Barnabas because Barnabas is loyal. Barnabas is a person of conviction and a person of compassion. And when you need an advocate, you want a Barnabas there for you. John Mark is a fortunate young man to have such a great mentor as Barnabas by his side. In fact, I really believe that one day John Mark will go on and do incredible things for the gospel. And I hope
I didn't make a bad decision. I just went with my convictions. But I love these guys. And I know we'll all be together. I'm sure for Barnabas, he probably said something like this to John Mark. I know you must be feeling pretty bad, but I want you to know that wasn't personal. Paul's not that kind of person. Paul made the decision he made because in his heart and mind, he believed it was the best decision for the gospel. And everything that Paul does is about the gospel. So when you think of Paul, I don't want you to think that he doesn't love you or doesn't care about you. Just the opposite. In fact, when you think of Paul, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that that's the way we minister. That there's no room for big errors here. That we just don't treat the events of what God is doing in our lives as if it doesn't matter how they come out. There are no mulligans in this. People can get hurt and they can get lost without the gospel. And Paul's a pretty good example. And I'll never know what it was like to be Paul. I'll never know what it was like for him being someone who chased down Christians and took their lives and then later coming to Christ and having to live with that and to live with all of the distrust of the Jews and even the distrust of the Christians. Nothing's been easy for Paul. But one thing's for sure. Paul loves God and he loves people. And you can always count on him to do what he believes is right. You see, I think that's the way it went. When we deal with people, yeah, we have to remember, it takes two. It takes two people to take the time to recognize that relationships are bigger than just actions and reactions. We have to remember that we don't know it all. And that not everything is as it appears to be. But most of all, we have to know that our mission is people. Our mission is loving people as Christ has loved us. That in that mission, people would come to find the gracious gift of God's salvation, of God's forgiveness. That's what this is all about. We have to remember that it takes two for a dispute. It takes two for a fight. And if two people would just stop and just move beyond reactions based on somebody's action and look and question their interpretations, question their perspectives, question how they want to react to what has been said, but to take the time to look deeper. I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to take these steps. When you find yourself in a disagreement or a dispute or even a fight, step back. Just step back and wait to hear from God. Step back 
and ask yourself, what's going on with me? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? How have I interpreted this? How have the distortions of my values or the distortion of my past experiences or the distortion of my circumstances caused me to feel this way? Caused me to only think about how I feel and not care about what might be going on with that other person. Step back. Try to understand so then you won't have to personalize. Then you won't have to rack up offenses in your mind against the other person. Realize that there's something more going on than just what you see. Recognize your impact in your mood. There are times when we need to just be silent because we're not in good spaces and we'll make things worse and we'll regret it later and our pride will put us right in the corner. Next, ask God how not to miss the positives of that other person. We can have people that we love and have done wonderful things for us and yet one misinterpretation of events, one sin on their part and we go off on this downward spiral of negativity, forgetting all the positives. Uh, Lastly, when we handle the situation, when we've taken the time to step back and and to not personalize, to not get offended, uh, to seek God's wisdom, we need to handle it with humility. We need to handle it remembering their dignity. That in the process of reacting to an action, we don't make the situation worse and we don't strip a person of their respect. You know, as I uh, reflect on this passage, I think I'm going to let it go that my wife doesn't often get my jokes. I can't blame her. It's part of her values, part of her past experiences, part of her circumstances, whatever it is that causes her to miss my incredible sense of humor. I think I can forgive. Besides, I I have you and you get my jokes. And so I think of the words of an old police sergeant in a TV show called Hill Street Blues when he would say at the end of um, every roll call, let's be careful out there. And so that's what I would say to you this week. Be careful out there. If you're not feeling good, stay home. If you see others who are coughing, keep your distance. But most of all, don't be afraid. God has you in his hands. And until we meet again next week, may God bless you and keep you. May God allow his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance and give you his peace. And may you continue to grow in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and walk in his ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.